Hello, uh, this is Jonathan Morris. You're listening to the Doctor Who podcast, and you are most welcome. Don't click. Don't even click. Click, and you're dead. This is the Doctor Who podcast, and this is our review of the Bells of St. John. episode 197 of the Doctor Who podcast. And James, we've got new Doctor Who. Not only do we have new Doctor Who, we have someone new in the camper van. Would you like to introduce Laura? Laura, this is 10,000 listeners. 10,000 listeners, this is Laura. Say hello. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Laura is no stranger to the Doctor Who podcast, as uh, some of you who would have listened to our Facebook content will, will know. Or indeed, if you were at Big Finish Day last weekend, you may very well have met Laura with a calling device and a Doctor Who podcast t-shirt on. Uh, Laura, it's a pleasure to have you on the show uh, to talk about Doctor Who proper at last. Thank you, and I'm wearing my t-shirt now as well. I should hope so. <laughs> Michelle, great to speak to you as always. And I think that's probably enough with the preliminaries. We've got new Doctor Who to talk about. And just as a reminder, this is what we've just seen. Hello? Ah, hello. I can't find the internet. Sorry? It's gone. The internet. I can't find it anywhere. Where is it? The internet? Yes, the internet. Why don't I have the internet? It's 12.07. I got half past three. Am I phoning a different time zone? Yeah, you really sort of are. They show up on the bill. Oh, I dread to think. Listen, where did you get this number? The woman in the shop wrote it down. It's a helpline, isn't it? She said it's the best helpline out there in the universe, she said. What woman? Who was she? I don't know. The woman in the shop. So why isn't there internet? Shouldn't it just sort of be there? Look, listen, I'm not actually... This isn't... You have clicked on the Wi-Fi button, haven't you? Hang on. Um... Wi-Fi... Click on the Wi-Fi. She's asking me for a password. Is it okay if I go and see Nina? You can call her mum. Sure. Um, what's the password for the internet? R-Y-C-B-A-R-123. How am I supposed to remember that? Is it an evil spirit? It's a woman. Hang on. Just a mo. Run, you clever boy, and remember. One... Okay, then, as I think, Laura, you are the guest. What did you think of the Bell St. John? What are your first impressions? I really enjoyed it, and Clara was really good, and I thought the whole episode was nicely humorous, but also exciting. 
I did like the way that the title was so misleading and meant something completely <laughs> different from what you expected. And as somebody who works in IT, I thought the the idea of not connecting to strange Wi-Fi was a good good warning. <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea, James, that uh, you welcomed onto the show someone who's got the IT experience. Given what the content of this particular episode was, I feel very comfortable having an IT specialist with us today. So hello, Laura. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was interesting. I think whenever we were going to have a Wi-Fi or an internet-flavored Doctor Who episode, and let's face it, it was only a matter of time coming, I can imagine it's going to have a major psychological impact on anyone who works with information technology. Ian springs to mind as well. Yeah. And uh, I, although I can imagine, I think Ian's reaction would have been to bang his fist on the table and say that's not how the computer works rather than to take the threat seriously. Yeah that's usually my reaction to that kind of thing but maybe I don't know enough about Wi-Fi but it didn't bother me too much. Or maybe you know enough about IT to leave all of the technological context uh, behind when you watched it but uh, Michelle what what did you think of this episode? Well, I'm right with Laura. I really enjoyed this. Uh, and I love the tone. I, I had been hoping in this second half of the, the series to have a lighter tone, a fun tone, a more celebratory tone. And I think we got that here. Uh, I enjoyed watching Clara. I enjoyed watching the doctor. Both characters, I think, were, were showing their strong points and they were fun. I liked the story. When it comes to the stuff we've been talking about, the Wi-Fi and the internet, I love the way they worked that not only into the story, but beyond. If, if you're on Twitter, and maybe they were doing this on Facebook, I don't know, but following Twitter over the last few days, the character that we saw at, at the very beginning, uh, Nabil, I don't think he was named uh, on the episode, but he's been tweeting. Has he really? He has. Have you been <laughs> oh, seeing the warnings? That. For about at least the last half a week, we've been getting warnings from Nabil on uh, on Twitter about, you know, don't click, don't use the Wi-Fi. You know, it's been showing up periodically on, on the Twitter feed, and I've loved it. I knew it was related to the upcoming story. I had no idea he was actually a character that was going to be trapped, um, you know, trapped in the Internet, as it were. And and what a neat use of social media. It's the first Doctor Who story I have felt like I've sort of been a part of. Um, I just I just love that. I think it's a great use of, of the technology that we have today and that, that was the, the theme of the show. But no, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, again, the, the Bells of St. John, wonderful, <laughs> wonderful. And, and the way that that was a misdirection, but in a fun way, uh, I, yes. I think fit, fits very well with the episode as a whole. And, and I just I just really enjoyed it. What do you think, James? It was all right. I mean, it was it very much matched my expectations, I think. And from looking at all of the pre-publicity, and there was a lot of publicity for this episode, I, I got very much in my mind a, a partners in crime feel to it uh, on a couple of levels, I think. One, we always knew the Doctor was going to be meeting Clara properly this time. And, of course, we knew the same thing about the Doctor with, with, with Donna. It's contemporary London. It had... The baddies in an office, Miss Kislet or Mrs. Kislet, very much was reminiscent of the nanny, the the person who took care of all of the Oedipos in in uh, Partners yes. in Crime, and it, for me it was it was retreading old ground a little bit. Um, the the Wi-Fi threat, such as it was, seemed a little bit a little bit incidental. It wasn't a, a, a terribly pervasive threats and I think that's because the main thrust of the story was the Doctor's 
reconciliation with Clara. That's not to say I didn't enjoy it. I think it's a, a fairly solid Doctor Who episode. I think it's the weakest opener we've had in Stephen Moffat's reign. The, the misdirection that you've spoken about concerning the title, Let's Kill Hitler, again, a, a throwaway line, absolutely nothing to do with the plot. And uh, this time, The Bells of St. John was a, a setup for a gag, really, the whole mobile telephone thing, which was very funny. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, I laughed a lot at that. But yeah, I, I liked it. I liked the feel to it. I liked the way Matt Smith is so effortlessly the Doctor these days. I thought there was lots of nice references to monks. I mean, we've we've had a lot of monks since Doctor Who's come back, really, haven't we? We had the headless monks, we had the monks at the beginning of Tooth and Claw, and of course there's always that expectation that fans have whenever they see a monk's costume. Oh, is it the meddling monk? Again, right at the very beginning, you know, I, I think the audience were, were, were toyed with a little bit there. But, uh, but on the whole, I, I thought it was a reasonably solid episode. Um, I, w- I will ask you a, both the question in return. The Spoonheads, which, you know, the the villain, really, uh, or the scary monster uh, within this episode, reminded me very much of the Nodes from Silence of the Library and Forest of the Dead, uh, certainly in the way their head turned round. Was that too scary, do you think, for a young audience? Well, my nine-year-old took it all in stride. In fact, the only thing he told me he didn't like and this was more because they were the baddies, was all of the people in the office. Um, and it wasn't that he was scared of them or anything. He just recognized them as the bad guys and, and, and wasn't comfortable. He didn't even mention the spoonheads. So there's your sample size of one. But uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> he, he didn't find it scary, and he did enjoy the episode. I thought they were creepy, and I think... The first time it happened when you saw the little girl on the stairs, that was creepy, but it wasn't scary, scary, I don't think. Hmm. You know, there were a lot of themes that you could say were visiting things that we've seen in the past. And, and yeah, those certainly harken back to the nodes in Silence of the Library. I've, I've heard some folks mention how like um, the Idiot's Lantern this was in, in kind of the plot about the media being the threat. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think certainly having a monster inside a transmission signal, you could put it that way. But once again, I, I think the, 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 the Idiot's Lantern had the creature or the threat at the forefront of the story. I mean, I think you had Maureen Lippman, didn't you, voicing the uh, the wire? Whereas this time around, the wireless, <laughs> which perhaps <laughs> is where people are making um, connections with it, was secondary. It was a secondary element to this plot, and uh, it is cementing what the snowman set up, really, in as much as the Doctor is forming a relationship with, with this entity uh, that is Clara. Speaking of Clara, I thought it might be kind of fun to take a look at what we've learned about her here because yeah we've learned a few more things but I still think boy there's so much we don't know it seems like we're meeting her maybe at the beginning of her timeline if there is such a thing in terms of the different versions of her that we've seen because she starts out for instance as someone that that has no computer skills here and yet as a part of the plot here, you know, she gets upgraded with a package of, of computer skills, uh, which then makes her seem more like the character we met uh, on, on the Starship Alaska, who, although she was a junior entertainment specialist, had all of these incredible skills that she was able to use to, uh, while she was down on the Dalek world, you know, the Clara that we met then. I'm not one who's very good at uh, piecing together all the different timey-wimey elements of these characters, <laughs> but... Uh, 
it's interesting the way some of the things we saw before seem to be seated now in the character of Clara. We did wonder who the um, woman was that gave her the doctor's number and maybe River Song <laughs> might be involved in some timey-wimey way. I've seen this online all over the place and uh, we've had some emails already, uh, kooky theories, not just River, but also Rose, given yesterday's announcement that Billy Ooh. Piper will be in the 50th. I, I just don't think Moffat will go there. I, I think it's too obvious. Go or that, that she's Rose or that she's River Song or... No, that the number would have been passed to Clara by Rose or the Rivers or River Song. I, I think Billy Piper's return or Rose's return in turn left was very much a case of, you know, passing on information to Donna about the Doctor. I just don't think they'll repeat that. I, I think River, it's not really River's modus operandi, is it? She'd just go and tell her. I, I don't think she would <laughs> surreptitiously slip her a, a, a card with a phone number saying, yeah, give the doctor a call. I, I think it's unlikely. I, I know why everybody's saying it, and I, I it did cross my mind to start with as well. When I thought about it, I, I just thought, nah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I like that theory because of what you guys were saying on the preview episode last week about the potential for, you know, maybe River Song and, and uh, Clara and the Doctor to all meet up at some time. It, it would make sense to me that there was some encounter. And River did kind of swing by in the shadows and drop the diary off to Amy back uh, in the in the story where Amy had to remember what had happened. So uh, I don't know. I, I, I guess my leading mm-hmm. theory True. would my leading theory would be River Song. Yeah. Hmm. Laura agrees. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Therefore, it must be right. Did you see the author of the book um, that Clara was holding at the beginning? Amelia Williams. That was quite cool. <laughs> I was really happy that the fact that I'd spotted something like that too, Laura, because normally details like that sail past about three miles over my head <laughs> and then somebody else has to, to, to point it out. But uh, but yes, I did see that, and I just thought, okay, that's a nice little nod. But uh, do you think that will be important, the fact that she's following in her mother's footsteps in terms of publishing novels? I didn't when it first came up, but it, the fact that it kept being shown, it sort of mm. it was like knocking you on the head going, oh, look, Amelia Williams wrote this, Amelia Williams wrote this. That's right, it happened twice. Mm. And if you remember, I mean, it seems like 100 years or so ago now, but the Angels Take Manhattan, didn't the Doctor start getting particularly irritated when Amy was reading something out of a book? Uh. Because once you read something out of a book, it can't be changed. And <laughs> I just find it interesting that Amy's first reappearance after her death or the fact that she's left the series is in the form of a book. I think you all are amazing. That totally passed me. So for those of you who were saying, oh, it was hitting me over the head, um, you know, yeah, okay, I'm glad I have you guys to help point these things out to me. It, it was only a flash to start with, but Laura's right. It, the camera came back to it a little bit later on and spent a bit more time on it, just just in case you, you, <laughs> you missed, missed it. I, I tell you what did bother me, and that's the TARDIS being referred to as a snog box. Yes, I, yes. I wondered if you were going to mention that. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, that troubled me, and I, I also didn't like, and I bet Ian didn't like either. I didn't like the sequence where, okay, she she called it a snog box, and and you know the comment was, well, I'll be the judge of that, and then the doctor says, well, starting when, and it's it looked like he was almost inviting her to kiss him. 
And, and you know, again, that kind of goes into the territory that some of us now are viewing him as a married man. And um, I, I kind of oh, yes. wish, wish they would tone down the snogging. I also didn't get an awful lot of chemistry between them in that way. So I'm hoping it just disappears that. Mm, I, I think it won't. <laughs> I think it will probably come back. But you're right, there isn't as much chemistry in this story between the Doctor and Clara, but I think that's probably on purpose because Clara doesn't know who the Doctor is at the beginning of this episode. So he's going into this adventure, if you like, with a little bit of baggage already. And, and particularly when you look at how Clara was and behaved in The Snowman, the Doctor might be right in thinking, oh, there's going to be some frisson here, you know. Yeah. <laughs> that's probably wrong way of saying it but uh, I, I I don't know I, I hope we don't get into the soap opera we talked about that a little bit last week as well I'm sure Riversong will turn up at some point whether or not the Doctor really is a married man I think he's still a moot point as well because if you get married in an alternate reality does it count? <laughs> Well, they have treated each other since then in the real universe as if they are married. I mean, when you look at the episode, uh, you know, The Angels Take Manhattan, they are accepting, it seemed to me, in this universe, the fact that they are married. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I think they make flippant remarks about their relationship and they find it funny. It doesn't mean that they take marriage seriously. Well, regardless, I, I would prefer they don't go down that street again of the attraction between the doctor and the companion. Um, yeah. But I, I think they may be eventually heading that way. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, I think they're going to have to come up with something very new and very inventive if uh, if, if they're not going to retread old territory there. Well, let's, let's talk about how the episode looked. It was a new direction director to Doctor Who, Cole McCarthy. And again, um, this might be a very strange comparison to make, but the way this episode showed off London, it was very reminiscent to Skyfall yes. uh, for me. And uh, because that, that showed London, or showed the UK actually, in, in a beautiful way. Uh, fantastic lingering images on very iconic buildings and cityscapes of London I mean the cafe at the top of the building opposite St Paul's you know I have no idea whether that's a cafe in real life I strongly suspect it's an office that they just decided to convert but it looked fantastic and I I think this is how I like London being shown on an international television program it's even more well slightly irritating really because I work less than five minutes from about three or four of those different locations shown last night. And you didn't see any of the filming? I had no idea. (laughs) Absolutely (laughs) no idea. Yeah, my brother who lives in London did wonder if the tourist board had been involved in the show. It's it's funny that you mention that because I'm hoping to go over next November and uh, I I was actually watching it thinking, hmm, do I want to see that? Do I want to see that? (laughs) Well, I have to admit, I assume Michelle was making a list of places that she's going to want to visit when she comes (laughs) over because there are so many more London landmarks that are now Doctor Who locations. One of the scenes back over Westminster Bridge, so we're revisiting Rose, but we're going the other way this time. We were going towards Big Ben on a motorbike that you would have expected Robbie Coltrane to be on, I think. (laughs) That begins to edge into that silly territory that I'm not as fond of. But it was such a short sequence and it it, it really didn't bother me that much. And and it, it made me think of the Eighth Doctor and that whole sequence in there. I'm not sure we've seen a doctor on a motorcycle. No, we have because, uh, you know, Idiot's Lantern. He was riding that little moped thing Mm. or whatever it was. But um, yeah, you know, one of the things that is scattered throughout this, and and I presume will be scattered throughout the entire series this year, are these little nods to the past. Uh, And and I think it's being handled in a way 
that has a delicate touch and where the fans can can grin. You know, yeah, there was that reference to the Mad Monk at the beginning, and everybody, I'm yes. sure, was thinking, "Oh, is it the meddling monk?" And uh, <laughs> I, 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 I really enjoy the so far the touch with which they're they're doing those things, and look forward to watching those as we go through the the year. Yeah, Tony, who's a big fan of the classic series, was make, spotting all the references to really old Who. Um, so like the great intelligence and um, he pointed out that the spoon people looked quite the framework underneath looked a lot like the yetis underneath or something um, oh i haven't yes. seen that story <laughs> yeah it's um well no you wouldn't have seen either story there's only one um episode that exists from web of fear and also the abominable snowman but but yes yeah, certainly the the frame construction that constitutes a yeti Yes, I can see where he's coming from there. And as, as we know now, it, it, it would appear that we're not done with the great intelligence at all. So that's certainly going to be something that's coming back later in the series, I think. Can I ask you guys a question? Um, when we finally saw the client that Miss Kislet was speaking to, there was you know a little bit mm. of a face in the monitor. Was that Ian McKellen who had done the voice for it in The Snowman? or I? That was Richard E. Grant, wasn't it? Was it, yes. was it the face of Richard E. Grant? Okay, I figured that was the yeah. other option. Yeah, so. and his, his voice was um, Dr. Simeon, wasn't it? Yeah, it was the actual character that we'd seen already in The Snowman, a preceding episode. So that's interesting. It ended up with his face and his voice. Okay, didn't Ian McKellen voice them, though, in The Snowman? He was the voice of the great intelligence in The Snowman, so it's interesting. But he was using Richard E. Grant's character as a way to communicate, wasn't he? So it now appears to have absorbed that physical form, and he's still using Richard E. Grant's voice, presumably because Richard E. Grant is slightly cheaper than Ian McKellen. (laughs) I mean, you know, one of the things I really liked about that last sequence uh, was Miss Kislet. And I think it's really important that she was a Miss and not a Mrs. Because uh, at the very end, when she was kind of restored to who she was before the great intelligence took her over, uh, I, I love that last sequence where she was speaking as a child and clearly yeah. had been under the, in the thrall of this great intelligence ever since then. That, that was actually, you know, there were some moments in here that I thought had some, some weight to them. And that was one of them. That was really sad, wasn't it? That you thought that her entire life has just mm. disappeared now. Yeah, it was the one element of the program that made me feel slightly uncomfortable. And I, I'm not sure whether or not it was slightly out of place or not. But yeah, it was uncomfortable to watch that. So, but of course, that was Celia Imrie, quite a prolific actress. You know, yes. I was continually thinking of um, Ms. Foster in partners in crime once again it was extremely difficult to get that image out of um out of my brain really it's interesting what she reminded me of was m and and you she's not the actress that played <laughs> m in in the bond movies no that's judy dench dame judy dench oh yeah okay no i see how i made that mistake but boy she sure bore a resemblance to that for me there's a lot of influences in this episode i think it's almost impossible for there not to be it's set in contemporary london it's technology based uh, it, it's quite self-referential as well, um, but but for me, I would still say I enjoyed it. It's, it's not one that I think I'm going to you know avoid rewatching. Well, this might be a good opportunity to get the opinion of one of the other camper van residents. Um, shall we listen to what Tom said? Why not? Doctor Who is a product of its times, and each age, each generation has a different way of visualizing its fears and concerns. Since the middle of the 20th century, the overriding fears of society have been paranoia, loss of identity and invasion, and a terror that our enemies are not those without, but those within. 
And where do you turn when everything that you believe in collapses and reveals itself to be false? To a wise elder, to a trusted person, or to a doctor? The season opener for the 50th year crackled along at a terrific pace. Matt is clearly now comfortable as the Doctor and we are treated to a costume choosing scene, a handy reminder that we're starting again. That coat looks simply superb and flows around our hero beautifully. Matt is the Doctor, threatening, curious, excited and scared. In this episode he was a little bit of all of those who have come before him and at the same time totally himself. That ship, the TARDIS, is now his and there's a real sense of the old box being a roller coaster. So much more than just a time machine. New season, new companion. There's clearly a chemistry between Jenna and Matt, and as a result, between the Doctor and Clara. Rather than just seeing the Doctor and his world through the companion's eyes, I predict that we'll get to see the companion through the eyes of a Time Lord. And let's just look at that, shall we? A woman with several identities, shattered across time and space, who appears to be bigger on the inside. Bring it on. The story, well, as I mentioned before, playing to the fears of loss of control, manipulation, paranoia and hopeless anonymity brought about by the internet and mass communications is a masterstroke. The Spoonheads were actually factually frightening with their sinister, hypermobile, empty and hungry heads. And the show still knows how to play to our fears and be at best unsettling and at worst frightening. Turn your head. Keep turning. It's quite nightmarish. And so the crumbs are laid. The pieces are on the chessboard. The book written by Amelia Williams. Who was the woman in the shop that gave Clara the support number? My money is on River or Rose, most likely River. Trapped in the screens alongside Clara was Clive from The Lodger and Closing Time. Of course, there's the great intelligence and still a web, but this time a web of information rather than a web of fear. Unit makes an appearance and there are several good jokes. The story's title, the mobile phone, and of course the character named Pickwode. With the shots of London and the landmarks, the story managed to be forward-looking and nostalgic at the same time. Is the intelligence the season's big bad? Well, I hope so. And I wonder if once again we'll be taught the lesson that information is not the same as understanding. It's early to call it, but I'm feeling a theme of remembrance. The idea that nothing is ever truly lost as long as there is someone alive to remember it. There were shades of presence and absence being played out. Where are we at any given time? Are we in the room, in the past, thinking about the future, on the internet? Where? As so many characters repeated in this episode, I don't know where I am. In time, in life, in space, who can tell? Today, really, who can tell? Finally, I found myself thinking that although these stories are self-contained, the arc makes it very much like watching one giant story, rather than like the magnificent Dalek's master plan. As I said before, this is a story that has to, and I suspect will, stand up to repeat viewing. So the clock is ticking. If the rest of the season stays as good as this, we're in for a treat. So it sounds like Tom appreciated it as well. And, uh, you know, just to sum up what I thought, I, I really enjoyed the tone. I, for me, it was a, a pick-me-up from some episodes and some sequences that had gotten so dark. It seemed to lay some story arcs that were going to follow through, which is fine. 
Um, yeah, you know, it's probably not going to be one of the all-time greats, but I thought it was a very solid, very enjoyable start to, to Season 7B into a new era for for Doctor Who. Yeah, the um, pre-credit sequence we thought was quite like a Russell T. Davis kind of episode where you <laughs> got this exposition about what was going on and you just went straight in then. Yeah, they, they do that a lot. I don't think it's particularly more common in one era than it is in another but it's just a very easy way to to go hurtling headlong into a a story but this particular episode I don't think it really needed it it wasn't that fast paced I mean the dialogue between the doctor and Clara was quite rapid but the story as it moved along was actually quite gentle and uh, in in the same way it was in, in, in The Snowman really perhaps a little bit faster and it was interlaced with a couple of very slow character moments character exchanges you know where the doctor is camped outside the house that clara's in you know when she looks out of the window and they have a conversation how anyone can have an intimate conversation when someone's looking out of a roof window and the other person's on the floor is beyond me have you never (laughs) seen romeo and juliet yeah but that was kind of a little bit different it wasn't in london where the doctor was sitting outside with a large phone box he would have been mugged michelle (laughs) you know (laughs) That thermos would have been lifted from him quite quite quickly. But but for me, I like the way that they create those scenes and that slowed the pace of the story down a little bit. It was all right. Am I right in saying it was one of the longer episodes? I think this was nearly 50 minutes. Well, all I know is BBC America was able to cram fewer commercials into every commercial break, so you may be right there. <laughs> okay, one last question then before we go on, and uh, that's the TARDIS. We, we finally got a much larger view of the TARDIS interior and uh, I have to say that this this set is just growing on me very very quickly Uh, the the only thing I dislike and I maintain the fact that I dislike this is the carousel at the top of the time rotor but everything else the downstairs element the obvious corridors that they've got there it's it's a fantastic TARDIS as far as I can tell yeah and I like the way that they hooked onto the aeroplane and you just went straight through the door into the aeroplane yes indeed I'd forgotten that part <laughs> it's time flight all over again a TARDIS on a plane and they've given us a little bit of texture to the TARDIS in between the the main room the control room and and the exterior doors I know some folks have always wondered about that that interface there and back in the old days there used to sometimes be a darkness or a blackness and I thought it was interesting they've included uh, sort of a texture sort of a separation there so uh, you know it's growing on me too James I, I I like it and I think I'm even you know I don't have the antipathy to the carousel effect that you have. I'm still getting a really strong Mary Poppins vibe when I think about uh, Clara mm, and mm, uh, the, the car- so. car- carousel is still something that uh, that impresses me as being reminiscent of that and I'm curious where all this nanny stuff is going to go but I liked, yeah, we saw the doctor run down that one corridor actually leaving you know, the, the main room to go yep. back into the, the depths of the TARDIS and I think that that's sort of a, a little bit of a tidbit that may be leading us into that you know, journey to the center of the TARDIS episode that's coming up later so I, I'm liking it. Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, I, I, I think it's great they, they, we know that they've built the TARDIS set because they've already told us so why not use it and I, I like being teased a little bit I have to say uh, rather than just the well pretty much just one room that we saw in the snowman we you know we, we, we're shown that this time spacecraft is much much larger on the inside well 
Well, speaking of teasing for future episodes, uh, the announcement about uh, who's going to feature in the 50th anniversary episode in terms of guest stars, um, and I, I think you referenced this a little bit earlier, but <laughs> looks like we are going to have a multiple doctor story of some sort. I think it's really good. Uh, David Tennant's my favorite TV doctor. So I'm happy. If we were going to have a multi-doctor story, David Tennant's casting is the most obvious piece of casting we're going to get. Um, so yes, I'm, I'm I'm not surprised. I am pleased. A multi-doctor story for a, a celebratory episode is the best choice as far as I can see. I don't think there is any better alternative. Uh, I was surprised to read about Billy Piper's return. I think this will be her fourth return to the show and uh, the law of diminishing returns does kick in somewhere and uh, as far as I can see you know they've never topped the departure in Doomsday. That was where Rose's arc ended as far as I was concerned. On the beach in nowhere. Yeah absolutely <laughs> and, and they, they decided to um to revisit the same location in the same flipping scene almost, uh, you know, two years later. So they're going to really have to do something very special to warrant Rose's inclusion, as far as I'm concerned. Having said that, I also understand why they want to go back to the very first era in uh, new Doctor Who. Um, they, they want to celebrate that too. Whether or not they'll bring Christopher Eccleston back into it, nobody knows. I strongly suspect this is just the first casting announcement. I think there'll be a few more coming up as well but the thing that really intrigued me was John Hurt's announcements now he is an amazing piece of casting he's a fantastic actor and I think certainly modern audiences will know him as Ollivander in the Harry Potter films and um, slightly older people like me will remember aliens bursting through his chest in Alien. I was wondering what they're going to do with Rose as well um, because yeah, as you say, I think she ended really well on that beach in Norway and that would have been a nice sad ending to her story and finished. And then when they came back and he <laughs> left, I thought it was a bit of a cop-out. He left his half-human person with her. Yes, um, yes. I just felt that was really insulting to Rose um, <laughs> because it was kind of like, oh yeah, you can go back to the doctor as you first met him despite the fact that you've grown up in this five years or whatever she'd been with the Doctor. Um, yeah, I found that really weird. So I'm interested to see how they handle the two of them together again in this new one. I mean, of course, Rose met the Doctor in the form of Christopher Eccleston initially, but she only really kicked off the love story in series two, I guess. Um, yeah. and, and this is something else. I mean, are we going to see a real 10th Doctor and Rose or are we going to see that alternate 10th Doctor with Rose? I mean... <laughs> I know which one I would prefer. Yeah, I didn't like the human doctor. <laughs> In what way? <laughs> I don't know, he was just a bit meh. You just don't like guys with one heart, do you? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I like the fact that that it is going to be a multiple doctor story in some form you know that we don't know which where in their timeline we'll find it yes rose should have been left on that beach alone <laughs> doesn't that sound heartless sad lonely <laughs> but but, <dead>. but dramat <laughs> dramatically and thematically you know that was a great a great departure and an extremely powerful scene that that should have been left as it was but you know we've already had her back as you said three times or whatever so uh, I'm looking forward to it uh, I, I I hope uh, I'd like to think that it won't be the only doctor that comes back I know that the the announcement specifically said some of the guest actors for the upcoming anniversary have been announced yeah. so yeah. we'll see I, I um, enough time has gone by that 
dipping back and whether they go back into the the time stream or or whatever they do, I think enough time has gone by that it's revisiting the past and celebrating it for this season. So I'm looking forward to it. Didn't bother me. Good, good. I mean, I I hope that they have someone from a classic era as well, at least one or two actors coming back and uh we'll, we'll we'll see i'm sure they will and i do have confidence in Stephen moffat but as i said i'm slightly surprised by the announcement that billy pipe is going to be returning but uh, but doctor who is also going to be returning it's going to be returning to our screens in less than a week's time now michelle i can't pronounce this title i hate doctor who episode titles that i can't pronounce so can you pronounce this one what one are we going to be discussing next time yeah you know what i think i'm with uh, ian on this one i think i'd say something along the lines of the rings of akatan fine <laughs> time will tell if we're right or if we're wrong so. well i think it was mentioned in the next time trailer as well so perhaps i'll need to go back and this to that again but yes this is the one that we all thought was uh, an Indiana Jones or had an Indiana Jones vibe to it and the poster has an image of Clara holding up what I always maintain was a leaf and Ian I think said oh no that's a mirror of some kind or Trevor did it now looks like this is a new leaf now we would very much like to know what you listeners thought about last night's episode the bells of St John if you can send us your audio feedback audio feedback will always get priority here on the Doctor Who podcast we are an audio podcast we value audio feedback Uh, if you can record it using any device that you have Trev is an absolute miracle worker at making it uh, usable on the show and send it to feedback at the Doctor Who podcast.com. And you can also interact with us on Twitter, although after watching last night's episode, you might be a little bit hesitant to do so, but our handle is at the DR Who podcast. Laura, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank, Thank you, you very much for your time. Thank you for having me. Michelle, it's been okay speaking to you, I suppose. Oh, yeah. Gee, thanks. Well, I, I'm going to go get myself stuck in the World Wide Web again like uh, like a human fly calling out for help forever on Twitter. So uh, I'll see you all there. Lovely. I will speak to you all again very soon. Thanks, everyone. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Bye. That was the Doctor Who Podcast, which you can find at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. If you have any feedback, please send it in to feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and via the Doctor Who Podcast forums. Thank you for listening. Take care. But the thing that really intrigued me was John Hurt's announcements. Now, he is an amazing piece of casting. He's a fantastic actor. And I think certainly modern audiences will know him as Ollivander in the Harry Potter films. And um, slightly older people like me will remember aliens bursting through his chest in Alien. Hello? I put them all to sleep. Fantastic. James is talking again.